following Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. You're listening to episode 13 about our mobile phone applications, pilot shortages, what it's like to be an airline pilot, aircraft run-ups, magneto checks, and more coming up now on this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty. Carl Valeri and Len Costa. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Stuck Mike Abcast. I'm your host, Len Costa, joined with Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, and Victoria Newville. Greetings, everybody. Hey there. Hey. Sup? Good evening. Sup. 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 <laughs> Sup dudes. So casual. Sup, dudes. Let's do the pre-flight. Episode 13 this evening. Uh, today, I wanted to start off with a couple of announcements. We're very proud of uh, a few things going on right now. We, we've recently released a mobile application for the Android Marketplace. Yay! That's Yay. now available, yes. And um, at the time of this recording, actually, the, uh, the Apple, probably by the time you hear this recording, the application for the iPad, iPhone, and iPod Touch should also be available. So uh, go ahead and take a look for look at those. It's a, just a maybe even a more convenient way to consume your favorite podcast content. It has um, it has the the episodes in there. You can listen directly from the app. Uh, all our Twitter feeds for the four co-hosts and a bunch more stuff in there. Even a contact us page to submit your questions or comments straight from the application. Uh, you know stuff that you might want us to answer on the air. So go ahead and check those out. We're very proud of them. Love to hear for your feedback and let us know what you think of the new app mobile apps. Cool. Also, well, uh, go ahead. Well, well done. You worked hard on this. It took me a little bit of a while. I was yeah. I, I got distracted with vacation, and then uh, but they are out there now. I'm very cool. happy to have them out. So uh, the um, the next item, uh, of course, I already forgot what the next item was. <laughs> no, uh, the, just kidding. The uh, the next item uh, for the, I guess we haven't really talked about, but you'll find right now currently on the uh, on the website is there's episodes uh, and a couple of actually interviews that Carl has done um, for you know in the name of the podcast, uh, two interviews and perhaps uh, in fact actually, and you'll find them in the feed. Uh, anything that's not a core episode, the you know, and the regular episodes come out on the first of the month and the fifteenth of the month. And uh, anytime we have one of these interviews or featurettes, you'll find them um, in the episode list with a letter next to it. So, like for instance, twelve A is this first interview uh, that uh, Carl was able to do. So go ahead. You'll start to see uh, see some of those out there in the feed if you're wondering what the ABC lettering is. That's what it is, just some uh, some interviews that we've done like uh, on the spot out there in the field somewhere uh, with, with you know, different interesting people related to aviation. Hey, Len, um, um, yeah. quick question. So are they in, is that in both feeds or just the mp3 it is in both i'm both. trying i'm actually trying a test i know one of them's a video and i'm not quite sure how it will turn out but okay. uh the cool. video's in the enhanced because one of them's a video interview okay and uh there is an mp3 version as well so they Great. are in both feeds cool so whatever you're subscribed to you're going to start seeing this extra content very cool absolutely and uh rick you had something to share with us as well from a meetup uh yeah we just it was it was not really a um stuck mike avcast meetup although i was there so i suppose in some some by some definition it was but it was um it was more officially i think a, a meetup for um the uncontrolled airspace podcast um and a bunch of us got together at barnes um in uh western mass um and it was great it was just a it was great fun and uh guy I, I said to you earlier we got a bunch of good feedback on the show appreciate people coming up to me and and uh, telling me they're enjoying the show and listening each, you know, with each episode. And um, so, you know, we had, it's a sort of standard deal. You, uh, I, I ended, up, ended up not being able to fly in because the plane, I both planes I rent um, are not hangered. And it's, it's, a, it's that time of year where frost uh, can be enough of a factor that I couldn't, it was easier for me to drive than to wait the time right. or to work on the plane, 
get it ready and then fly. So I just, I drove, but a bunch of people flew. And, um, and then the coolest thing was the, um, I guess the Air National Guard is, uh, is based there for Massachusetts or there is a base there and, um, or nearby. And, um, they, so they were, they were practicing. So there were a lot of takeoffs and, and, uh, you know, those, those cool approaches, um, uh, over the field and, uh, banking around to land. And then there were, so there were a bunch of, uh, F-15s, I guess. And then some F-8, a couple of F-18s came in while we were there. Uh, they were from somewhere East coast, mid, mid Atlantic, uh, they had come up to do some, uh, some practicing uh, with with folks, you know, some maneuvers or whatever. So it was great, and we got to hang out on the ramp while they, you know, pulled in and parked. So, um, we, you know, everybody had a great time, and uh, uh, actually, you know, met someone that we might have on as a future guest. So it was it was a cool uh, meetup, and um, good to see everybody. Thanks. Awesome. So, yeah. Great. Now entering cruise flight. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and start off the show with uh, Carl has a topic he wanted to share about. He's getting a lot of questions uh, actually through Expert Aviator, um, and he wanted to share. He kind of wanted to share some information he's been sh- he's been talking to with his um, his website visitors. Yeah, thanks, uh, Len. You know that it, it's interesting because I'm I'm getting a lot of feedback based on an article I wrote a while back concerning uh, the pilot shortage, the pending pilot shortages, and there always will be one coming up, depending on the cycle of hiring. And currently, uh, we are about to have one. Now, where will the shortage be? You know, just let's clarify. It's going to be mainly in the regional airlines because right now, the majors could hire all the regional pilots and they'll be doing fine. Don't worry. It's not going to be at the majors. It's really going to be at the regionals. What's interesting, though, is the past year when I do the speeches with the FAA, with the safety program and, and other presentations that I do, they always come up to me and ask me, you know, why... What's it like? What's the first year of flying like at a regional airline? Well, fortunately, or unfortunately, I was able to have three first years at airlines. My <laughs> first three, <laughs> my first three years, I moved. As a matter of fact, you know, we have training, and you have to go to recurrent training every year. I never had to do recurrent training until my fourth year, mm. and the reason being is because I had to do qualification or initial qualification training. Hmm. So uh, the, it, there's a lot out there, a lot of people, uh, uh, there's a lot of rumors about what it's like, et cetera. But let me just tell you a little bit about it. I'm going to go into what the interview is like, the training, uh, flying the line, and then we're going to talk about a little bit of a controversial topic. It's uh, pilot pay. The uh, As far as the interview process, uh, just the, the one thing I can tell people is just do the best you can. Uh, there There is a shortage out there. But they're not, you know, I've heard people say if you can fog a mirror, you can get hired with a regional right now. It's not true. I, uh, as you know, I help folks out find jobs that are on furlough from another airline. We have seen people with 4,000 hours and 737 type ratings getting turned back down by the regionals because they're coming in and they're thinking, hey, I've got this. And they don't. They don't try. So you really need to try. You need to be prepared for that interview. And there's a lot of good websites out there, by the way, if you want to uh, be prepared for the interview. And, and Len or, or Rick or anybody chime in if you, if you want. I know we'll fly for food, uh, fly to 360, uh, and a few other ones out there that you can actually see the gouge or the information about these interviews and the actual questions they're going to ask you. And on those websites, the other interesting thing is they'll talk about what the pay is, what their work rules are, are like. And work rules is, what does that mean? That's how many days off you have. That's how much you get paid for being at work. A lot of people don't realize that, for instance, in some places, you could work 12 hours and only get two hours worth of pay. So those are the type of things what? you want to know before you go in. Yeah, yeah isn't that yeah. crazy? It, it's, it's happened uh, to many of us. You know, you can, depending on way, the way your work rules are defined, you could actually go to work and have a flight. Say it's an hour flight mm-hmm. going to... I don't know, from Newark to Boston. Mm-hmm. And you only have to do that flight, but you're delayed and delayed and delayed. And all of a sudden, say your company only allows a minimum of two, three hours of pay for a day. That's all you're getting, two to three hours for being at the airport and wow. being delayed, say, 12 hours. Wow. Yeah. These, and these are the realities. And, and, and I'm going to say a lot of maybe negative things while I'm talking about this, but, but realize there is also an upside to this too. You know, there's, that's the downside. The upside is choosing an airline that has better work rules and also learning how to play their system. Well, and they're so. not they're not exactly all negatives per se, as more so as just it, it's, you know, 
the truth and the reality of the job. Like like you said, some places are a little bit better um, work rules, but uh, it's just something that it's not, you know, I think only us in the industry really know what it's like. So it's nice to be able to share for folks to see what else is going on. Like, you know, it would have been nice for me to know some of these things before I started too. <laughs> <That's for sure. laughs> me too. And, you know, I, I really hope I don't come across as being negative on this because there's there's there are so many benefits and positives. And I'll get to that as far as, you know, why we become airline pilots and why we would even work at the, at the uh, regionals. But, uh, but getting past the interview, once you get hired, there's another large process that goes on. And, and a big part of that process these days is the background check. And let me tell you this, you really need to make sure you can pass an FBI and an airline background check before you come to the airline. And also make sure you didn't lie about anything. You know, I'll never forget. I was in class with a, a you know, fellow pilot, and he said to me, "Hey, listen, I got, I got arrested for substance abuse or, uh, or possession, possession." And uh, I said, "Well, you know, did you tell them about it?" He says, "No." And, and three days later, they fired him. And, and that's see, they want you to be truthful, and they, and that's going to come up in your background. A lot of people think, "Oh, no, it won't," but just make sure it does that you have gone out there. And there's a lot of services that you can hire to to actually do your background check before you come to the airline. And by the way, when you do, when they do ask for the information, when you're filling out the forms, the, the prior forms or the information forms for your pilot records, your past, uh, uh, if you work for another airline, your past records from another airline, you can get copies of that for free from the FAA and the information that they send to that airline from the other airline that you worked for. So in other words, you can get all this information for free sent to you. Just have to fill out the check mark on the form and put your address in there. Um, also, when you're when you do come to training, if you do get hired with a with a regional or an airline, which most people were talking about regionals here because they're just starting their careers, make sure you're ready to study, and there's no distractions when you come there, and and prepare your friends, prepare your family, and say, listen, guys, I I can't be disturbed. You know, usually it's it's a good six weeks. It's just like I've never been through basic training, but it's just like basic training but with a lot of studying involved. There's, there's more studying than you can imagine. We, you're going to class for usually about eight hours a day and you're studying for four hours. Now, the, the, you know, we've all been, say we've been to college, et cetera. Doesn't sound like that much, but the, the stressful part is that during your training, you're tested. And as you go through, you, there's a lot of points where it's either pass or fire. Not pass or fail, pass or fire. So if you don't pass the test, you're not moving on and you're going home. So you really, there's a, there's a high level of stress there during that training period. So the best thing to do, get your rest, be prepared, tell everybody, don't bother me for the next week or two, or actually for the next four to six weeks is really what it would be. And even on your days off, you may want to stay at the training facility, at the airline that you've been hired with. And it's very, very important. The other thing too about training, if they tell you to memorize something, if they give you information to memorize, do, do it, it before you, before you even show up to work. Mm -hmm. Have that all. Say there's flows. Flows are those procedures that you learn. They're you're basically eye-hand procedures where you touch a switch, you you flick a switch, you turn a knob, etc. Have those down pat. You know, it's it's like a choreograph. You have those down pat before you even show up for the training. Many, 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 many people get fired for that. There are certain items that you have to get 100% on, and that's usually your memory items, those things that, and your limitations. Memory items, what's that? That's just like your emergency checklist, say in your 172 where you quick do that, you know, the reverse mm -hmm. question mark, and then you do your checklists. And then there's limitations. You have to memorize those limitations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so, and, and Len, did you want to add anything to training before I move yeah, on? Yeah, actually I did. I wanted to sort of mention you were talking about, you know, concentrating and focusing on the study aspect. And I've had a couple of friends, uh, a couple of old float, flight students of mine, actually, who've gone on to the airlines. And, um, you know, my best advice to them, similar to what you said, but I just kind of put it in a different perspective. I said, this is what's going on, guys, all right? For the next six weeks, your only purpose in life is airline training. Okay. No family, you know, aside from emergencies, Amen. no family distractions. I'm sorry, but your wife, your girlfriend, boyfriend, et cetera, it's got to be minimized. You know, your only purpose in life is to study and study hard for the next six weeks. It's painful. It's six weeks. It's long. But after that, you are scot-free and it's worth every moment that you focus that extra energy on studying. Cause it's, it's like you said, it's very stressful. Extremely stressful. 
And uh, but but again, you can make it just like you said. If if you go out and tell people, listen, you know, this is it for six weeks. It'll be less stressful because they'll understand. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, hey, don't 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 contact me for those six weeks. Um, the uh, but but you know, you said then it's it's over and you're done. Interestingly, though, normally what happens right after you get done with training and you start flying the line, you go on what probation, right. and it's a probationary period normally of about a year. And uh, during that year, you really have to keep your nose clean. You know, don't do anything silly. Um, but uh, but you're right. You're right. The the other thing about flying the line that that's very stressful and something you have to get across to your family, and and uh, I know this is probably going to shock you, Rick, is, is that the pay is extremely low. Uh, just to give <laughs> rock you rock bottom. Yeah, rock bottom is right. We you know give you an idea. My Third year as an airline pilot, I made a little bit over sixteen thousand a year. Wow! Now, now understand that I was, was on my I was on my third airline. That was, uh, let's see, that was in two thousand. Okay, that's enough. I mean, two thousands. Yeah, okay, that's recent yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, it wasn't that, uh, you're it not wasn't that old. Not a, it was like not the, that old. Rick. <laughs> yeah, it was like the Eisenhower administration or anything. No. <laughs> right. Wow. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we didn't hand prop these. These were you know right here. But still, and, and, that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that incredible? What's interesting though is that pay has come up, but not by much. I mean, we're talking in the twenties. Yeah, low twenties, twenty-two, twenty-three thousand. About wow. It, it yeah yeah it, it is amazing. But why why can they do that? Because they can. Hmm. Because there's so many people that really want to get to the airlines and get their experience. They want to go from the regionals and move on to to a major airline. That's where I'll get into a little bit about the pay later as far as what happens when you stay at a regional for a long time. Your pay actually gets a lot better and it's hard to jump to another airline. Carl, I like, yes. to, I like to call that the shiny jet syndrome. Yes, <laughs> the big jet syndrome, the people, shiny jet syndrome. You know, People want to fly something bigger and faster. And, it, uh, right. It's, it's, it's definitely worth it. I won't never say anything bad about the flight time and experience, but there are, you know, there are some ups and downs, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and to me, an airplane is an airplane. If they paid me the same amount of money, I'm going to fly 172. I would stay in there all the time. The only thing is that you know, my goal, and you have to set your goals properly, I wanted an airplane that had air conditioning and a toilet. And... I got it. You know, this was great. Here I cool. am at an airline and, and I've, I've able to, you know, fly an airplane that actually has air conditioning and a toilet. And I got sodas, too. So this right. was terrific. <laughs> nice. You didn't have to wear your, so, adult, your adult diapers to work. No, on. no, I didn't. So that, was, that was wonderful. But the thing is, then you have to define once you make that, you, you acquire that goal, you have to define another goal. OK, what do I want to do next? Where do I want to go? Do I want to fly overseas? Do I want to maybe get out of this and go into the military? We're seeing a lot of folks do that now, especially the younger folks uh, at the airline I work for. They're starting to look towards the military, and they're saying, hey, I want to get out. I want to start doing that because I know I'll get a pension at the end of that. Um, but anyway, getting back to the low pay, the, the other thing that people don't realize is because your pay is so low, you can take advantage of that. You can actually go out and, and get some financial aid and also – uh, apply for some low-income housing, especially in some of these apartment complexes. But, you know, most people, what they do, they go out into what's called a crash pad. And I know we've probably all heard of the crash pad, but that's where you'll have, say, a dozen people in a one- or two-bedroom apartment sharing a- an apartment. Now, Len, have you ever used a crash pad before? Yeah, I used one for... I think about four years, four or five years. I think there was oh, wow. probably about 17 of us in a hotel room. Oh, really? Wow. So that, that's amazing. Well, let me ask you this, Len. How did you, where did you sleep? I mean, did you sleep in the same bed as someone else? No, I see there's arrangements, uh, and I think this is, it, there's, it's fairly common for most crash pads. I think there's two types. There's uh, some that have dedicated um, sleeping facilities and some that are what we call hut bunks. And uh, the one I was in was hut bunks, and it was a hotel room with uh, six, six um, sets of bunk beds in there. And, uh, you know, because it was at a hotel, fortunately, they had daily maid service that came in and would clean the room and change the sheets for you. But, um, you know, and I said how there's 17 people there, but I mentioned there's only six beds. Well, there's not 17 people there every night either. There's, you know, I think it was pretty rare, actually, that I was ever in a full house, probably in four years, maybe three or four times a, a crash pad was ever full. Um, and then some of the other ones, like I mentioned previously, are are a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit fancier, cost a little bit more money, but you kind of get like a private room 
that has, uh, say, for instance, two sets of bunk beds in there. And, you know, you get the bottom bunk in there for as long as you're in there and you're responsible for uh, taking care of your own linens and towels and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah, that's, that, that's does, interesting. Does that get, uh, I mean, is that just random chance that it works out that given scheduling, there won't ever be more than six if 17 are sharing? Or is it organized? Um, well, it's... It's a little bit of both. It, it's it's more chance that it's never that it's not frequently full, and most of the you know most of the there there'll be sometimes a crash pad consists of maybe a collection of hotel rooms or apartments, and uh, you know even if say for instance I own only one crash pad hotel room, you know mm-hmm. there's pro- most likely there's probably half a dozen more in that building or on that floor, so I know. You know, I know that you, Rick, have two rooms and we just sort of have a mutual friendly agreement that, hey, if your rooms are full, you can come in, you know, your guys can use our oh, okay. our beds and vice versa. It's kind of, I mean, the chances that it happened were very rare and then usually everybody would just help each other out and say, mm-hmm. hey, we got an empty bed, come on over, no problem. Cool. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, it is. And actually, you know, Len, the reason I asked you that because I, I've never had a crash pad. Yeah. I, I've uh, never done that. You know, there are alternatives, and, and the way I did it, I wound up renting rooms in people's homes. And I have found every city I've gone to that I could find a room to rent in a home of someone who knows nothing about the airlines. And mm-hmm. thank God for that. Because the worst thing you want to do is come to your crash pad and everybody's complaining about work. <laughs> you see, these, these folks didn't know anything about it and they felt, oh, my gosh, you work so hard, you're gone so long, you know. Little do they know, I may have only worked two or three hours that day, but that's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were real nice to me. But that's you can find those situations. And, you know, the other alternative, too, is people get hotel rooms, and that can be quite expensive. But, like, Rick, you were asking about are there people there all the time yeah. or are there people there? Well, a lot of folks will get the hotel rooms because they're betting on the fact that when they come to work and sit in a crash pad. Now, why would you use a crash pad? Because you're either on reserve or you have to come in the day before because your trip the next day starts early in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, and reserve you, is reserve, reserve just for those is that's a it's an it's basically the equivalent of being on call. You have a set number of days you're on call. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And you have 2 hours to get to the airport usually for most airlines, right. sometimes 12. But for those folks that want to that that don't want a chance getting to to work late, usually there's these crash pads near the airport or you just go ahead and get a hotel room. Some people, what they'll do is come to the airport, hang out at the airport all day, and beg the scheduling department to say, hey, give me a trip. If anything comes open, please let me get a trip. Mm-hmm. Because now what happens is you're on that trip. Now you're getting per diem. You're getting a hotel room. You're happy. So that's what a lot of folks will do. They'll try to get those trips. Mm-hmm. And does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's, it's one way to play the system. Yeah, and, yeah. But wow. – uh, but yeah, that, and that goes into that first year of pay. How do you pay for all that? Gosh, it's incredible. You know, I, these people have crash pads, hotel rooms. You may have an extra car somewhere. Who knows? Uh, so it, it, but what's important, though, your first year, what you're thinking of is making sure you fly right, making sure you do everything by the rules, and make sure you don't get fired. And the one thing that most people get fired for is being late, not being on time. You can get away with most things, but make sure you're not late. And uh, it's very, very, very true. You know, it's all about being on time with an airline. Mm -hmm. So why do we do this? You know, getting back to, you know, why would you go through this, this, all this intense training and get paid little small amounts of money? Well, hopefully there's a, there's a carrot at the end of this. And there is, Uh, especially like with the regionals. I won't, you know, go into how much I make, but I do know in 2005, when I finally made it to captain, because I was working so much overtime, I finally got to that six-figure income. So here I went from this extremely low income up to this decent income because what's, what's happening is they, after your first year, you usually double your income, and then you go up from there. And if you work overtime, sometimes you get paid time and a half, double time, or just extra pay when you work for that airline. So yes, there is that carrot there at the end. But then what do you do? You want, oh gosh, I'm at a regional. Now I want to fly the shiny jet or the big jet syndrome. I want to move on to a 747. I want to move on to a 767. Well, what happens? You go to a major airline, you might only be making thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 again. You, know, you, back, you drop back again. Because why? You start all over. You start as a first officer. You may have been a captain of the regional. Now you're a first officer. So you're seeing, and this is something actually I've been studying lately. You're seeing the 
the wages at the regional airlines on average have been going up and it's because of the folks are, that are staying at the regionals. They're saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm in my 40s, I'm in my 50s, why don't I just stay here? I'm making a really good salary, I'm getting a good schedule. And that's what they're doing. They're actually staying there. Mm-hmm. So that's, this, that is uh, what I had as far as, as what, you know, why would you do this, you know, what the training's like, et cetera. And, and if anybody has questions, please, you know, send us an email because there's, uh, there's many different ways to skin a cat, you know, as far as what you're doing, as far as your living scenario, uh, training. You all know how to, how to uh, study, going back to that studying. Some people do better in groups. Some people do better on their own, that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, make, make sure you, you, you really go in with your eyes wide open and when you get there, realize that, that yes, this, this does pay off because why do, we, why do I do this? Number one, I get to work with some really terrific people. I, people that get into aviation come from some varied backgrounds. They, they like the challenge, and I get some challenging flying. And I get to fly some really cool equipment, and then I get to go play when I'm on my overnight. Like I just went and visited Moncton up in Canada and got to see a museum and uh, actually blogged about it on one of my other blogs, and I you know, did a video of that, but that's what I love to do. I love to see these places that I never would be able to see on my own. But now they're paying me to go to these places and, and basically have a quick visit and sometimes a long visit. Sometimes uh, in some cases you're in a resort for 36 hours mm-hmm. and, and that's not so bad and the pay isn't so bad. So, so with those negatives, there's some, some positive and I, think it, I still think it's a terrific job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. I agree. I agree. Cool. Any questions? Does anybody have any questions? I think I covered just about everything there. I, I get That's the sense. That I, go ahead. Yes. Sorry, Victoria. Oh, I was just curious what made you decide to go in the airlines versus corporate other or something like that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I didn't. I really liked the job I had at the time. It was somebody I was instructing. I love flight instructing. And I was doing really well. I mean, I it took me years to make the same amount of money at the airlines. But. Um, I said to myself, well, let me see what corporate's like. Let me see what the regional's like. And uh, it was really the, the first steady job, basically, that I was able to get because all the other corporate flying I was doing, I was a third pilot on a two-pilot crew. And a lot of those corporate jobs, uh, usually the pay was extremely low at first. And uh, um, they were like, oh, you know, we'll just use you every so often. And uh, um, But with that said... I have a lot of friends that did go that route, and they absolutely love it. You know, I, and I will say that there are corporate and uh, say other jobs like doing banner towing, et cetera. I have friends that do that as a career, banner towing. They love that. Everybody has something different. You know, like I said, my goal, if I go back to it, was to get air conditioning and have a toilet on board my aircraft. That was that was a wide goal. So the first one that came up said yes <laughs> is the one I jumped on, uh, and that and that, I, I, it's that simple. But it, but it's true. Plus I was able to to go to a place where I knew people, and that helped because I had a reference that hey this is a great place to work. Do I get uh, you know I still get offers to fly corporate and do those type of things, but um, you know for the most part having a schedule. This is an important part. Having a schedule and having days off. My friends that fly corporate wish I had. Now, I'm not saying that some of them don't have that, but you know, I at one point we had 20 days off a month, and that's that's quite a bit. You know, not right now because we're short. Yeah, so it's not that bad. It, it really it is. It's a good job if you can fit into that lifestyle. There's not as much freedom, but then again, you know, being on call all the time with a corporate job, having to fly somebody out to the islands, that can sometimes not have much freedom either. So. I, I like all flying. I think I, I wish I could do six months of the airlines and six months of corporate. That would be a blast. But mm-hmm. they won't they won't let me do that. <laughs> Darn it. Darn it. <laughs> that, did, Rick, you had a question? Oh, just, uh, um, you know, it sounds like it just uh, I get the sense that you guys just hearing from you, you move, you know, you you live one place, you fly out of another t- city. You know, how, that seems like that's a bonus, too. If, if you want to live somewhere, you can almost... I guess live anywhere. Is yes. that true? Kind of. Yes. I mean, and and there's there's pluses and minuses to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just you know, I I like where I live on the beach, and that's why I commute. But I tell you, I didn't commute for some years, mm-hmm. and being able to just drive to work is wonderful. Yeah, normally, but I'll get up at 
if I'm going to, it takes me, say, six hours normally from door to door to get to work with no, if I have no problems. And uh, that's the price I pay. I see. But then I get to live anywhere. Does that make sense? Yeah. How yeah. About you, so Mark? it's good. Yeah. Good and bad. Yeah. And, and similarly, you know, looking at when we were kind of talking about the crash pads earlier and Carl mentioned how sometimes, you know, if you had a trip that started real early one morning, well, for instance, you know, if, if you had to be at the airport at 6 a.m., you may not be able to take a flight from D.C. to Chicago and get there by 6 a.m. So I would have to basically sacrifice one of my personal days off, fly up there the day before, get a hotel room. Yeah. Um, but on the, you know, on the flip side, we are, you know, able to uh, to take advantage of that and and like you said, sort of live wherever you want. Uh, and you know, it's interesting when some people outside of the aviation industry look at this and it's like Carl just mentioned, it, it takes him about six hours door to door when you think, well, geez, that's crazy. Well, when you take into account, we uh, we usually work a four day, ch- I, I, I think Carl does the same, but I usually go to work for four days at a time. So if it takes Carl six hours to get to work on the first day and six hours to get home, well, that's 12 hours of commuting. Well, uh, Rick, how far does it take you to drive to work in the morning? Well, on the when I lived in Chicago and when I went into Boston, it's a, it it was a long time. It was you know more than yeah. an hour every day right. at least. Right. Yeah. So you're doing about two hours round trip times yeah. five days a week. You're at ten hours. Yeah, it's, exactly. You know, you look, you sort of you look at it, you compare it. It's kind of it's kind of similar. Yeah, I get it. We, that that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Sure. And then also the other bonus is that you know your residence can become a season. You know, where where you're living is a season. So for instance, if I'm some people like I actually have a great situation where I I can live up here with my family. I am in New Jersey right now, but I also live in Florida. So, say during the cold months, I stay in Florida more than I do in New Jersey. But in New Jersey, I get to enjoy the warmer months. And there's a lot of folks that will do that. They'll say have a place in Maine and a place down in Florida or wherever they go, you know, on the islands and and live there. There's some real kooky guys that they'll they'll actually live over in Europe and mm-hmm. commute from Europe. It's like, yeah. wow, that's tough. That's a little too long for me. <laughs> Not for me, man. <laughs> I'm kind of I kind of take the same aspect you do. I call it the uh, the uh, aviation vagabond. You know, you sort of just <laughs> you just go and you you know you stay with your family for a little bit. You visit your friends for a little bit. You go to work. You know, I spend a lot of time uh, visiting with my girlfriend and my other friends, and so you know you. You get to just kind of go where you want when you want between you know between your days off. Yes, cool. cool. And, and there's there's a great benefit to being a pilot for an airline. Mm-hmm. For me, it's 136. I think it is now. My airlines, I can jump seat on. I can go anywhere in the world for free, basically. Mm-hmm. So well, some countries have to spend some money. Fairly that's, close. Yeah, Fairly in the U.S., close. I can go for free. Wow, you, for free. You know my you know my favorite you know what my favorite one is Carl. What's that? FedEx. Oh, I love FedEx. Have you ever heard oh, many people okay. in their life telling you that they've been able to FedEx themselves somewhere? I <laughs> 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 I have uh, done that. It's pretty it's, it's pretty Oh, that's exciting. freaky though cuz you're in the cargo, you're back there. Well, yeah, you're in this, all of a you're taking off. It's this like, oh, huge heavy <laughs> like I did it a couple of times from Boston to New York and I'm on this MD11 with boxes. I'm in this back little, you know, this area, there's a couple of seats and I'm staring at the the back side of a heavy MD11 full of cargo pods. It's really, really, <laughs> you have no windows. You're sitting backwards. It's dark. <laughs> wow. But uh, it was definitely a cool experience. I have, yeah, my friends get a kick out of it when I told them I FedExed myself home. They're like, you did what now? And explain it to them. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> that's great. But uh, yes, yeah, so if you're looking at a career, hopefully that's explained a few things. And, and I'd love to hear comments from people. And, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I know there's a couple guys that listen to this that are airline pilots, and I'd love to hear some feedback from them. Because uh, we always get, I always get feedback from them when I when I do talk about the airlines, and they'll say, "Oh, you're right on," and then they'll say, "Oh, no, wait, I disagree with this, etc." So I'd like, I'd love to hear that. Mm-hmm. But that's what I have on that. I hope you enjoyed that little trek down how to get on and what to do when you're there at the airlines. Cool. Very well, interesting. Yeah, we'd we'll like to take some questions, uh, you know, from listeners. Just send us in uh, email at stuckmygavcast or reach out to any of us directly. So, uh, well, moving along, Rick recently did a flight, or att- I should say, <laughs> attempted to do a flight, and yeah. um, wanted to tell us a story about why uh, why he did he actually scrapped it. Yeah, we. Um, it's the the reason I thought it might be worth talking about even even briefly is that the day the day this happened, I. Um, tweeted about it afterwards, and a whole lot of people uh, 
just, you know, started asking me questions, wanted to know more, you know, more about it. And I've done that with other people too. And it's really helpful, I think, to hear the decision-making process here, what they, what, you know, what went into the decision, how it, how it evolved and, and, uh, you know, what, what were you looking at as you saw things happening? So it was, it was pretty cool. And the fact that they were asking questions, I thought, well, I should just talk about it. Um, and it's basically, well, so, uh, I was going to just fly locally. Um, and, uh, the specifics I'll talk about are, um, for a, uh, for a Cirrus SR20, uh, that I was, I had been out of for a while, but was, was getting back into and had done, I think a flight the week before. So this was, um, you know, I was, I was a little more current and, and, uh, heading out for a flight and, um, had gotten, uh, everything was cool and had gotten to, um, to do the run up um, just short of runway two eight at Norwood. And, um, and you know, I just you do. I've done. I'm not, I'm not that experienced a pilot, but if by the time you get to to even the level I'm at, you've done you've done a lot of run-ups, and we all do them, and we all you know we all get that it matters, and and you know it's it's sort of it's clear why, but you know you just kind of go through the thing, and you you follow the checklist, and you do, and you do the run-up, and and for me, pretty much, I, I don't think there's been a run-up where there was, you know, where there wasn't, where everything was, I mean, everything was fine in all the run-ups I've done. I, you know, I was with a CFI a couple of times and he was more familiar with the plane and, um, and he heard something or something was weird. And I, I remember him sort of, you know, doing some stuff with the engine and that was early on. And, but since then, you know, everything's been fine. And, and in fact, that day, everything sounded fine. Everything felt fine. Um, and, uh, so, you know, but I was doing the run-up and got to the mag check and, um, in the, uh, in the Cirrus, and I've, I've double checked this just to make sure I'm accurate. At least in the Cirrus that I'm that I'm flying. Um, so you know, everybody knows you check both, and then each uh, mag separately, right and left. Um, and um, in the Cirrus, the the RPM drop um, on each side um, cannot exceed 150 RPM, and the difference in the drops between the two sides cannot exceed 75. And so you know, I've done this. A lot, so I, just, I was doing it, and boy, uh, went from both to from the first one is the right mag. Went from both to the right, and it dropped a lot. And I noticed it. You know, it's okay. This this is unusual, but maybe am I seeing that right? Um, it was it was basically um, one fifty one. It was one more RPM uh, greater than it should have been in terms of the drop. And I've never seen anything that close to that. But I I just went well, I, I sort of did it, and then went back to both and went to left and left. You know, dropped nothing, 50 or something. Um, and, uh, so then I did this several times just because I thought I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm not seeing this right. And, um, I, you know, it was, it was holding the same. It was, it was slightly more than the extreme of the, of the single mag drop and way more than the difference, uh, was allowable between the two. So, um, uh, he called the tower and there was no traffic taxied back on the runway. And, um, they, uh, I had gotten, uh, of, I had gotten a squawk code for flight following and I was, uh, they, you know, I had them cancel that cause I wasn't sure what was going to happen. You know, I got back, parked the plane and some guys who, who are more familiar with that plane. Uh, one guy in particular came out to help me and, uh, just to kind of talk about it. And we sat there in the parking space, um, uh, kind of messing with it, pu pushing it a bit, looking at the, um, cylinder, uh, I guess it's the cylinder temperature gauges. Um, does that make sense to you guys? Right. Yeah. yeah. So we, and we were pushing. So and what he was doing was um, uh, leaning out the mixture to to increase the temperature. And what was funny was the, there was clearly a cylinder that wasn't firing at all because uh, it the, the temperature didn't ever get hot. You know, it just wasn't it didn't register at all. And and but, you know, and he was and so he was basically showing me how to try to burn off the uh, carbon that might be mm -hmm. in there in case that was the problem. And um and it never, it never went away. I mean, nothing he did could make it, could make it stop. And, uh, so, you know, it, it, it was funny because it, you know, it felt like it would be fine. And I, and I, it actually, you know, technically would have been fine should nothing else have gone wrong, you know, but you start to, you know, why it's like the, you know, the runway behind you and the, the fuel you leave, you know, back at the airport, it's sort of, those don't help you at all. And, and obviously, um, if you start off at a deficit with, um, you know, with a, uh, with one cylinder not firing and anything else happens or the mag fails or the other mag fails. So it, it was, um, you know, what was interesting to me was I didn't, I couldn't tell personally anything was wrong, but the numbers were that are, you know, in the POH for a reason, um, 
you know, exactly, basically predicted there was something happening that needed to be fixed. And um, I thought that was pretty cool that, you know, this, this thing that was just sort of a, you know, a matter of fact thing that I'd done a lot kind of told me something and I, and I made the, you know, I made the right call and, and uh, you know, flew, flew another day. So and they had to get someone in, you know, someone had to, it wasn't going to happen that day. So we scrapped the flight. Um, but that was it. So and I thought it was kind of cool and it was a great learning experience. And it, boy, it's a reminder, uh, you know, the, how cool those numbers mean a lot more to me now than they did before this happened. So now, I'd like to ask you for a moment. You said that you weren't quite, I mean, you, you recognize the numbers, but you, you said uh, that you couldn't quite tell that well, something sometimes. was up. I mean, did it, yeah. did it sound no, re recapped? It sounded okay. It sounded fine. It sounded, mm. it wasn't vibrating. I mean, there wasn't mm. a, especially, you know, at any point during the run up, nothing seemed, um, and I'd felt some vibration in the past. There had been a situation, yeah, I right. think, where where whatever was happening, uh, maybe we did scrap a flight once. I just remember thinking that if something's really wrong, you know, th there'll be a noticeable feeling as you mm -hmm. play with it. And there wasn't. This was, I, I, get, I guess I got the feeling that this was just, you know, wh whatever was wrong showed up as a marginal difference, but enough of a difference that mm -hmm. I should stop, but not because I felt anything. In mm -hmm. my case, in this case. Interesting. So, yeah. So um, a quick question though that now you've you've done this in the past so you've burned the carbon off and, yeah i was going to ask you the same thing well i have it, not done it but people have shown me to try to do you. that and and if it's if it's a small problem that that can that can work in fact one of the guys um who t tweeted me that day did you try you know heating up the heating up the cylinders or, or whatever you know mm -hmm. and uh and I had, and I wouldn't have known to try that myself, and I probably still wouldn't try that myself, because though we did it, I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty careful with other people's equipment, and I'm a renter, and I, you know, so. But the guy who was doing it with me had done it a bunch and has had success with that. He said, "Let's see if we can, you know, kind of knock this thing," and, and it never, it did not work in my case. I'm sorry, Carl, you were going to ask me something. Well, well no, I was going to say that. Well, sometimes you just can't get it out. Sometimes right. you have to go in there and just break it off, or maybe it was gapped wrong or whatever. But yeah. still, you now this was a fuel injected engine again. Yeah. Or carbureted fuel injected. Yeah. Ah, okay. That's probably why you don't do it so often because usually with carbureted engines are usually when you'll have those issues that yeah. you'll actually have to to burn off the the deposits that are actually on that. Yeah. And, there, there and there's are, yeah, that's something you get used to from doing off. Right. And I and I and I have been spoiled in the in the sense that I've been flying planes that aren't carbureted mostly so i don't have that much experience with it so for me it was sort of a, oh what's this <laughs> so but, uh, but i was going to say the build-ups can get so bad though that they that you mm -hmm. just you just can't get it off yeah period. well and they and it was i think by the, the way that, that was a saturday and i think it was monday when somebody could finally look at it and i it got it was back on the line pretty quick so i think it was a plug that got switched out or something right right mm -hmm. So it was us. cool. Yeah, Good it was call. it was easy. It was an easy call. It made sense, but it was weird because it didn't feel <laughs> like something was clearly amiss. But boy, the numbers sure added up to the right mm -hmm. decision. I think so. It's kind of cool. Anyway, so I I, I think it's uh, it was a good learning experience, and I thought I'd just share it for some of the student pilots out there or, or new new pilots. I had to, very good like the opposite side of that equation uh, when I when I went on. Um, when I was flying back in May, I had the actual vibration in the engine running rough, and I used that procedure that we were talking about, where you basically um, bring the uh, you know increase the temperature on the on the engine, you bring it up to full power, and you start to slowly lean it out until you get um, until you get peak performance out of it, and you just let it run. I think I usually do it for about thirty seconds to a minute, and that will you tends to generate enough heat to burn off that carbon. Well, this you know this worked. Mm -hmm. And I did the run up the second time and it was, um, you know, the mags checked out. I took off. It went to my destination. Strangest thing. Doing the pre-flight and the, and the run up or the um, get, get to the end of the runway, doing my run up on departure from my destination. Did it again. Hmm. And usually what I've experienced in the past is when you have this issue, and I don't know about you, Carl, but usually when I've had that carbon deposit issue, you know, once is enough to burn it off. But that that particular flight, I, it did it two times in a row. So, uh, hmm. you know, I did the same procedure, burned it off, did another mag check. It worked out great, and I went and I made it home. But, um, hmm. you know, I had the, you know, the visible, not just the numbers, but the, you know, you could see, you could hear it was running rough and, right. and all those associated things. So right. um, sometimes it does happen more than, you know, more than once in a row. That's good. And no, that's a good heads up. So, yeah, interesting. Everything's a learning experience, even when you don't fly. Mm -hmm. Very cool. That is good. Yeah. Great. Thanks for sharing, Rick. That was, that was good. Yeah. Um, something, something that happened, I figured I'd fill you in.
our picks of the week. We are uh, getting up on there in time, so we'll go ahead and move on to our picks of the week. And uh, we'll start off with uh, Rick. He has a neat little toy that I actually got to use at uh, when we had a, a recent meetup a few months ago. Yeah, um, this is this is sort of a video t- tangentially connected to aviation because because I use uh, different video cameras in flying, so it's a bit of a geek video thing. But um, but especially for people who maybe investing in this case this happens to be for for an iphone but um there are there i I need to check to see if the same model exists for um android or other devices um but it's it's uh, the the company is i i lose track of the company name but i think the company is owly o-w-l-e and the product for some reason is called a bubo um b-u-b-o and it is a mount a camera mount for the iphone and if uh, for those of you who may be thinking about upgrading or have upgraded to the iPhone 4S, it is now a 1080 HD video camera. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to use that in certain situations, you know, sometimes requires uh, a camera mount, you, you know, and, and in flying, uh, certainly you want to mount the camera, uh, especially if you are the pilot. So um, this this thing, basically, I'll just describe it. It's a metal um device that I had an early generation of. I've, I don't have the current one, but I, it doesn't seem structurally that different. And we'll put a link in the, in the, in the data in the notes. Um, but it's, it's, it's a mount that holds the camera. Uh, it's sort of shaped like a, a, an H. Um, the camera is horizontal inside the mount. And there are thread, uh, there are tripod threads on the corners of the mount, the top and bottom on each side corner. So you can mount, that's one of the benefits. You can now, with the phone in there, you can now mount the phone to a tripod of any kind, um, but and there and there and I should say there are several solutions for that out there that actually weigh less and are smaller and cheaper. Um, but what this one also does is it comes with a, um, a a wide angle lens, a wide angle and macro lens attachment that is positioned on the mount exactly in front of the camera of the of the phone. So you you can then, you know, with your phone in this thing, uh, you set, you basically have a a, a wide angle lens um, HD video camera that works great inside cockpits cuz you know it's a tight confined space and wide angle really helps a lot. There's also an attachment um, that lets you plug in a, a, a sort of a shotgun microphone. Um, and there's a cold shoe on top which is a place to attach a light if you want to get that sophisticated. Uh, so it's not powered, but it will hold a light on the top. And, um, you know, it's just a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool thing. And I thought I'd mention it too, because there are, I don't know if you've seen this lens, but there are now lens options. Um, so this is, there is now an attachment that mm-hmm. sits on this that lets you hook, hook up um, your, your uh, SLR lenses from your, you know, your bigger camera. You can mm-hmm. basically you know, take your Nikon lenses and stick them on the front of this thing, which is, which is just wild. Um, so <laughs> anyway, I, I thought I'd mention it. There's a video on the page that shows you kind of what it looks like and how it works. And um, sometimes I bring it along instead of bringing a, a better camera, just because that plus my phone equals pretty good shots. In fact, if, if you go to my um, blog, which we'll mention at the end, or, or, if, or if you're following any of my uh, tweets, uh, there are pictures that were posted from the meetup at Barnes recently, the UCAP meetup, and uh, those were all taken using this uh, Ali Bubo, it's called. So, uh, very cool. Not not inexpensive, but kind of a fun mm-hmm. gadget to at least be aware of. So. It kind of looks like a video game controller, and the, the way you were designing it in the shape of an H, it kind of kind of yeah. looks like a video game controller. It does, and I, I hope it's gotten lighter. The one I got was an early prototype that was made for the 3G mm-hmm. a few years ago, and it is pretty heavy metal. Um, I I think they've made it lighter now, but I, I can't, I don't know that firsthand. Um, but I do like. I'm thinking of it, looking into that lensing, although that lensing attachment is more than the actual device itself. Mm-hmm. So I'm not not sure I really need that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, I've used it quite a bit, and I'm I'm, get, I'm getting a lot of use out of it. I thought it would be kind of fun. And so, again, now with it's an HD camera in the plane that you can mount to any kind of a suction mount or or a tripod holder. So mm-hmm. that's it. And I'm just looking at their website. It looks like it is only for the Apple devices and not for Android. They've got one for the iPhone 3G, 3GS, the iPhone 4, 4S, and the iPod Touch. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, sorry about that, but. It's uh, you know, like and like I said, there are many solutions out there. If you're just looking to mount your phone uh, on a tripod that that don't need, and there are separate solutions that let you clip a lens over the camera of your phone, and I think those mm-hmm. exist for a number of uh, 
of different phones and are um, uh, probably a lot less expensive. A lot uh, less expensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just, very cool. Uh, just a gadget. Just another gadget. Yeah, there's a plenty of them. Well, um, I want to share my pick of the week. It's it's kind of relevant to what um, Carl was talking about as far as uh, learning stuff about the airlines and uh, getting to know what's going on out there in the industry. It's a, And actually, it's a blog by Dan Webb called Things in the Sky over at BoardingArea.com. And um, it's really cool, actually. This gentleman, Dan, uh, if you look at his, the About section on the website, he's actually a uh, a college senior and he's just you know he's working on a degree in business administration and finance and he's always been fascinated from uh, from a young age with the airlines and he writes this blog and there's a lot of good stuff on there you know like i said it's really neat um information about what's going on in the airline industry and uh i'll put the you know the link out in the show notes but if you're looking at learning some stuff i mean like this one article up here um it talks about uh the orders for an A320, the different aircraft other airlines are using. Um, it's got all kinds. I mean, it's just very in-depth. He's got some very, very good-looking charts on here that describe different, like this one, uh, you know, American Airlines domestic narrow bodies and from airports percentages. It's just very, I mean, the gentleman is very sharp. Um, it's quite an interesting website. I recommend if you're looking to learn a little bit more about the airlines or at least just curious about what's going on in the industry, maybe behind the scenes. Go ahead and check it out. So the web address for this blog is boardingarea.com forward slash blogs forward slash things in the sky. And of course, you'll, you'll find a link in the show notes and in the embedded, uh, the embedded uh, content, enhanced content, if you're looking at that right now. So That's I suggest you cool. guys check it out. It's a pretty neat, uh, pretty neat website, and um, it's got some cool content on there. So why don't we go over to uh, Victoria? She wants to share. Uh, she wants to share some cool stuff that she's found that's related to women, actually. Yes, I always like to find something for the ladies. And um, my pick of the week is PowderPuffPilot.com, and it's um, a store for uh, women with aviation stuff. It actually um, was brought about by a little eight-year-old girl asking the founder, um, "Do they have logbooks that come in pink?" And no one did. So she started this business and it has pink logbooks, pink headsets, pink cushions. Um, my favorite thing, though, that I own from theirs is uh, the Ringer Tees. And mine is the 10 reasons why women prefer, prefer airplanes over men. Hmm. And people <laughs> stop me all the time, like at Oshkosh, and get mad at this shirt because it's pretty funny. <laughs> what, are some of the, what are some of the reasons or what's your favorite one? Uh, my favorite one is an airplane takes gas, a <laughs> man passes it. <laughs> um, here's a few more. Uh, airplanes eventually stop whining, and airplanes don't come with drinking buddies. <laughs> they do not perform over gross. So it's, it's, it's quite creative. I like it a lot. Cool. Awesome. You know, I, was, I was just looking at the website. The only thing we're missing here is uh, I want a pink tie. Hmm. I don't see that on here. They have I think watches. We should put in a request. Yes, definitely will. Because I'll, I'll wear it. My heart powder puff pilots, you know. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I was looking at I was looking at this before before their show, and it. I guess the owner she's got this little short short bio, on uh, on the front of the website. It says uh, learning to be an Alaskan bush pilot at 59 years old. So that's pretty cool. I, I'm not sure if that's one of her actually one of her um one of her visitors or herself but uh that's it you know that's pretty cool nonetheless somebody who's uh taken up aviation that late in life that's pretty neat oh, oh i found cool. something for victoria here the powder puff uh -oh. pilots headsets the pink headset you definitely need these. <laughs> i think i'd look at them i think yeah pink looks great on me but That'd you know awesome. when i was younger i was one of those girls who hated pink because you're mm. supposed to like pink while being a girl mm -hmm. but now i admit i would totally Get a pink headset. Cool. One of my old flight students took the time of actually bedazzling her own headset when when she was my student. <laughs> I'd do it. I'd have sparkles and sequins. You name it. It wasn't pink, but it was the funniest thing. She showed up the one day to the their flight lesson, and I just couldn't stop laughing at her. <laughs> speaking of sparkles, do you know if you go? Oops, sorry. I was going to say, speaking of sparkles, you know, if you go on their website and 
put your cursor over the powder puff pilot, she actually produces sparkles. What? Nice. That's yes. right. Yeah. Yep. I see the Check. little birdies. Oh, there's her sparkles. Sparkles. I never noticed that. <laughs> this is great. Oh, I'm going to play with this all night. <laughs> now we're having fun with the sparkles. <laughs> oh, by the way, I also have the calendar, which is awesome. Every day of the week. Um, Every day of the week, she has a different fact of what happened that day with some aviatrix. And uh, I have not that's seen any cool. duplicates. So that's 365, you know, fun tips right there. Awesome. Cool. Very cool. Neato. Well, um, Carl, why don't you share your pick of the week with us? Well, my, my pick this week is uh, something for everybody. It's called The uh, Inner Art of Airmanship, and it's uh, by a gentleman named Dave English who uh, studied psychology and is also an airline captain. And what he did, he, he started researching, you know, what, what makes us perform at a much higher level than we do now? How can we become better at what we do? And he focuses on how can we become better pilots and make that perfect flight or at least try to attain that perfect flight and in his website the inner art of airmanship he walks us through uh, both some theory as far as the background and and the psychological theory as to you know our performance etc and then goes into what you can do you know and how to get started the thing I like about his website and I really think it'd be a really cool book if you put it together is that he actually gives you step one, step two, step three. And it's not like, you know, real hokey psychology. It's, it's, act, it's very, very useful. And, uh, and it works. And it's, it talks about the, the art of friendship and, and us not just being people who are yanking and banking, but really just in command of that aircraft and, uh, and of our flying. And uh, he goes into some great detail there as to uh, what it's like to be uh, what it's like to to grow internally and uh, as pilots, and he also talks about his own struggles when he was flying, and it, it was spurred by a um, a gentleman that was uh, his instructor who he can't find now, and uh, but he's trying to who taught him, you know what what's the art of flying and uh, and how can you become a better pilot? A real real good mentor, obviously had a great impact on his life. As a matter of fact. Uh, I interviewed him, Dave, uh, not too long ago, and, and we'll probably see that uh, in the future on the uh, Stuck Mike Avcast. I think we'll see it on, as a video podcast, correct? Correct, yeah. In fact, I believe yeah. it's coming up um, just after uh, after episode 13 as 13A. Cool. Oh, okay. Oh, and uh, to find the website, you can go to www.innerairmanship.com or daveenglish.com. Com. So, inner airmanship. Check it out. I think it's terrific. I mean, everybody can learn from it. Anybody who's into sports, etc. But it specifically talks about how to become a better pilot internally. It's not going to teach you how to fly. It's going to teach you how to become a better performing pilot. Cool. Is the term yanking and banking on there? <laughs> oh God! When I you said did that, I say I that. Yeah. My laughter. <laughs> <laughs> that did come out, didn't it? <laughs> I like it. I'm going to use it. Instead of turning and burning, yanking and banking. There you go. <laughs> the after landing checklist. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up for the show today, guys. So why don't we start off with uh, Rick? Why don't you share with the folks how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. On Twitter, it's our, uh, let me think, hang on, think about it. Okay. It's our Felty on Twitter, RD Felty <laughs> on YouTube and uh, rickfelty.com, which is now that, what, what's the new URL I got? Rotations. Uh, rotationspeed.com. Yeah. So uh, any of those things. Cool. Victoria? I blog regularly at uh, toriaflies.blogspot.com and on Twitter, I'm toriafly. Great. Carl? And uh, I blog at expertaviator.com or you can find me on Twitter, expertaviator, or you can find my uh, YouTube at expertaviator. YouTube, expertaviator. Yes, that's my username there. So all those three things. All right. And you guys can find me on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube as The Pilot Report. And I've actually got a new website now. You should check it out. It's uh, thepilotreport.tv, where I'm going to start doing uh, a lot of new live shows and sharing some live content. So I suggest you go ahead and check that out. And, of course, if you want to reach the group for questions, comments, or anything you'd love for us to answer on an episode, it's uh, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com or the website stuckmikeavcast.com. 
Same as Facebook and Twitter, you can find us there. So from myself, Rick, uh, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, Victoria Newville, and Len Costa, we thank you all for tuning in to another episode, episode 13 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. And we all wish you guys clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.